Uh, in case you haven't been here, the sermon series, Your God is Too Small, uh, based on uh, a book that was written in 1952 by J.B. Phillips, and he explored that theme about how we have shrunken God to fit in our hip pocket and how we need to be more uh, open to God's vastness and yet God's tenderness. Uh, We have banners for each of the weeks of the sermon series. We began with Mighty God, El Shaddai, the God of the mountains. Uh, Last week we talked about Yahweh, the God who makes promises, the God who's personal. He is the rock of our salvation. He delivered uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. He delivers us. And this morning we add King of Kings because God is the Holy One. And I invite you, if you have uh, had to miss, maybe get online and listen to the sermons because they all hang together. It adds more uh, depth to each of them if you can uh, sort of just see how it all fits together and encourage you to do that. And uh, we stay together on this theme. And then uh, next Sunday we'll conclude this series and we hope that you'll be praying as we think together about God's eternal lordship over all of history and we sort of bring it to conclusion. So this morning's scripture uh, is, is from all over Isaiah because Isaiah loved to talk about God's otherness, God's kingship, his holiness. And so there are several selected passages from Isaiah 44, Isaiah 46, and then Isaiah 57. and They'll be on the screen. And I invite you to stand as I read aloud God's holy word as Isaiah sort of uh, plums the depths of who this God is. Beginning in Isaiah 44, 6 and then following several selected passages along this theme. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let them proclaim it. Let them declare and set it forth before me. Who has announced from of old the things to come? Let them tell us what is yet to be. Do not fear or be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? There is no other rock. I know not one. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he. Even when you turn gray, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me as though we were alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, they hire a goldsmith who makes it into a god, then they fall down and worship. They lift it up to their shoulders and they carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries out to it, it does not answer or save anyone from trouble. Remember this and consider. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying my purpose shall stand and I will fulfill my intention. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, 
whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with those who are contrite and humble in spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. More than any other Hebrew prophet, Isaiah was intent on proclaiming, your God is too small. The Israelites had shrunken God uh, into something small that would fit in their pocket and they could transport a God who would fit their small world, their small notions. They had uh, preferred a God who could be managed, a God who could be manipulated, a God who could be owned. And why would they do that? For the same reason we do. Because if your God is a tribal God, God of the tribe, it's always so coincidental how that God of the tribe always agrees with your tribe, always sees things the way you see things. And it's so very true that this notion of, of a small God uh, is a God who always loves the same thing we love. Isn't that a coincidence? Always blesses the same thing we bless, always curses the same things we curse, always, here's the trick, always hates the same thing and the same people we hate. I love this quote by Anne Lamott. It's been uh, shared many, many times. You can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates the same people you hate. Yeah. It's worth pondering, isn't it? When I was at Baptist World Alliance this July, just there with believers from all over the world, 50 nations and people of every skin tone and language and ethnicity, and I journaled uh, one evening in my hotel room, our God is so much more than our Western culture. Our God is so much more than our sectarian politics. The Christ we know and proclaim is so cosmic and so above our tiny viewpoints, the little knothole out of which we see our world. And sometimes we forget that. In the mid-1930s, a group of Christians in Germany uh, gathered to write what became known as the Barman Declaration, and Karl Barth, the Swiss theologian, was charged with writing the body of that document. They were there to resist Hitler's obscene nationalism that put nation above God. And Karl Barth led in the writing of that as confessing Christians said there was a point at which the proclamation needed to be made that God is not a tribal God. That God is God of all the nations and all the people above all earthly rulers. And the, the amazing thing that Karl Barth reflected on throughout his life as he, as he thought about human nature, he marveled that it never occurs to us that God might oppose us. Have you noticed that? It never occurs to us that God might oppose our point of view. We always assume that God is the guarantor of our way of life, of our point of view, of our tribe, 
of our way of seeing the world. But what if we're wrong? Would you want to know about it if you were wrong? Would I want to know about it if I were wrong? Or do we just prefer to go blissfully on? And could it be that God is calling all of us to a deeper, wider, larger understanding of who God is? And to really think deeply about what that means. And see, that, that gives fresh impetus to the verses I read a moment ago from the prophet Isaiah when he declares, thus says the Lord, I am king, there is no other. Making it very clear, if God is king, no one else is king. If God is king, nothing else is king. And then he goes on, and I'll remind you of some of those verses. There is no God besides me. There is no, uh, there is no other rock. I am he. There is no other. I am the God. There is no one like me. And then Isaiah has some fun playing with language to point out a contrast. Uh, he says a little further down in the reading that I shared earlier, he said, you know, to, the, to all of us, especially to the Israelites, his people, he said, you know, I carried you in the womb, a, a, a feminine image of God's being. I carried you in the womb, and, and I carried you through every trouble, and I will still carry you when you're old and gray. Remember that verb, carry. Because in the next verse, Isaiah says, but you know what? You go down to the local shop and you have a goldsmith uh, take some of the gold or silver that you've saved up and he casts it into a, an, a little image, a trinket god, a, a regional god that you can carry around. And guess what? When you move to a different house, you have to carry that god. When you go visit relatives in a different county, you have to carry that God. You're carrying the God. But Yahweh, the true God, carries you. The false gods will never be there for you in time of crisis, Isaiah said. The true God carries us. Yahweh carries us. The Holy One carries us. But that little trinket, you've got to tote it around. It can't do anything by itself. Could it be, could it be that we never grow up spiritually until we give up a God we can manage? Could it be that we never grow up spiritually until we give up a God that we can control? That spiritual growth never really happens until we're out of control, until we're yielded, until our God is bigger than we can comprehend, and sometimes more inscrutable and mysterious. Well, at this point, somebody's probably wondering, well, what's the use if God's so high, so exalted, so lifted up? He's unreachable to anyone. But remember the last passage I read to you, Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and I also dwell with the brokenhearted. Isn't that interesting? God is transcendent, 
and yet near. God is holy, God is king, and yet God is helper. I dwell in high and lifted up and also with anyone broken in heart. Isn't that how we come to faith? Isn't that how you became a follower of Christ? You came to the place where you figured out you couldn't manage your life. You can't do this. You can't forgive yourself. You can't have the power inside you to live on the right path and you throw yourself at God's mercy. You're humble and you're contrite and that suddenly makes room for the high and lofty God. That's what it is to be a Christian, to repent and to be humble. And suddenly there's room in our heart because our ego is shrunken. There's room in our hearts for the high and lofty God. And Isaiah makes it plain, this high and lofty one carries us. We don't have to be afraid. This high and lofty God knows our name. He is with us in an intimate and personal way. He is with us. He knows our name. Several months ago, I, uh, Janet and I went with our senior adult choir, choir the Friendship Singers, uh, when they uh, ministered in Lee Summit, suburb of Kansas City. And uh, right before uh, the program started in a care facility, uh, before the Friendship Singers were going to sing, present their program, Rod came up to me and asked if I'd like to share a scripture and say a few words as a part of the program. Rod's been around long enough, you don't ask a preacher if he wants to say a few words unless you really mean it. And I guess he really meant it, because I said okay. And a, a passage from Isaiah had been on my mind, because I'd shared that with the, the believers in Ukraine just about a month before that. For Isaiah says, I will carry you. I will lift you. I'm the high and lofty God, yet I know your name. I have named you. And I was sharing this devotional, and I said to the residents there, you're not just a face here. You're a person, and God knows your name. You're not just the resident in room 212, but God knows your name. And I shared some other thoughts. And after the program that day, a lady came up to me and asked me, why did you use the room number 212 when you made your comments this morning? I said, it's just a number that popped in my head. And she said, no, it wasn't. That's where my mother lives. And you have no idea how desperately this morning she needed to hear that God knows the name of the person in room 212. Because God carries us in our brokenness. God names us, never takes eyes off of us. And so it really turns out, folks, that the kind of God we worship is the kind of people we become. Think about it. The kind of God we worship is the kind of people we become. Two men named Andrew Newberg and Mark Robert Waldman a few years ago did some brain science research, made an amazing discovery. 
contemplating a loving God strengthens the portions of our brain where empathy and reason abide, actually exercises the portion of the brain, empathy and reason. Whereas contemplating a wrathful God, they discovered, empowers the limbic system, which is filled with aggression and fear. So it really matters the kind of God we worship. And that led Brian McLaren to point out in one of his books, the God we choose to love changes us into his image, whether that God exists or not. The kind of God we worship makes all the difference in the world. And I have closed every sermon in this series and will do so today and next week as well with that 1 John 4 passage of Scripture that is so central. There is no understanding God if you don't start with this premise, this announcement, this witness, God is love. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's all defining. That's all encompassing. I want you to say that verse aloud with me, all right? Let's say it together. God is love. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen.